This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. So this episode of With You in the Weeds, part two of needs, desires, longings. And I'm here with Austin. Hey, guys. We're going to play baseball with this stuff, see if we can hit a home run. And we're in this series, Beliefs That Will Keep You Stuck. Last week, we began with the first belief that will keep you stuck. And we said that that belief is, quote, it's selfish to get my needs met. If you missed that episode, um, I welcome you to go back, encourage you to listen to that one first. But to give you a really quick summary, we talked about how all of us have needs, desires, and longings. God built those into us. So needs are essential requirements for human existence. Pretty easy, sleep, food, uh, connection with other people. Then you have desires, strong wishes, wants for something. And then you have longings that are even deeper and stronger acceptance, value, validation, meaning, purpose. Yeah, and in that previous episode, we talked about those are rooted in creation, but then because of sin, those needs, desires, longings, they get hijacked. And so with all of these, there's a way to pursue them in a sinful and ungodly way. But what we hoped we showed in that first episode is let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. They are good, rooted in creation things. Well, yeah, because the enemy always tempts us with partial truth. And that's where we get really tripped up. So in a lot of ways, we're nuancing here what needs are, desires and longings, and, you know, where they become unhealthy and where we need to embrace them as healthy. Now, these things are important to know because they relate to a better belief that we want to introduce you to. And here it is. You ready? It is godly to get your needs met. Now, I know that might sound crazy, counterintuitive, unspiritual. Some of you might be thinking, are, are you guys even Christians? But I promise you it is true. <laughs> I hope I hope I'm a Christian. And if I'm not, Lord help me, I'm going to find out. But yeah, John, I'm glad you added that caveat. And if you're like me, you know, you hear that belief, it's godly to get your needs met. And there's part of me that thinks no way that's true. It sounds completely counterintuitive to the biblical story. If that's you, I totally get it. But if you hang with us today, I think you're going to see things a little differently. So here's where we're going. First, we're most importantly going to explain and prove where this belief is found in the scriptures. Then we're going to reflect on the deeper purpose for why is it godly to meet those needs, desires, and longings. And then we're going to end just to give you some small but significant takeaways, things you can begin to do in your own life that's going to help you to believe this and start to get unstuck. So let's jump into that first one. Um, The foundational reason. Now, not the only reason, but the foundational reason why it's godly to get our needs, desires, and longings met is Jesus did it. Hmm. Jesus sought ways to meet these things for himself. And sometimes he met them himself, and other times he asked others for help. 
and sometimes others let him down, but the fact that he asked shows just how important he believed meeting his needs, desires, and longings really were. So, so here's three explicit ways that the Bible tells us that Jesus did this. Uh, first, Jesus asked for and met his physical needs. Okay, think about uh, if you know the story of the Samaritan woman, Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman in the well in John 4. One of the first things he does when he meets her is he asks for a drink of water. He's thirsty. He's thirsty. Now, was that the initiation to have this amazing conversation? Absolutely. And probably he was thirsty because he's been walking miles in a very arid climate and he's, he's thirsty. I like the word arid. Yeah. I was even thinking of that. Yeah. 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 In fact, I thought, I wonder if he's going to say <laughs> desert climate. And then my mind said, maybe he should use the word arid. So good use of the word, dude. <laughs> so Matthew eight twenty four, another one. Jesus is uh, surrounded by crowds. He's healing people. He's feeding people. Gets in a boat with his disciples. He falls asleep. There's a great storm that kicks up. They're scared to death. So a lot of people will look at that and say, oh, Jesus was just so calm because he was in control of everything. He could take a nap. Honestly, I think he was sleeping because he was tired. He had been putting <laughs> out and he was tired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, same thing. This was all, you know, he, he calmed the storm, him sleeping and waking up. It's a profound thing he did. And he also had physical needs and he was tired and taking a nap. He was exhausted. He was exhausted. So uh, the second way that Jesus did this is he asked for and he met his spiritual needs. I mean, go back and look, maybe do a word search on how often Jesus withdrew to pray. He did it all the time. Uh, one example, specifically in Mark 6, after Jesus feeds 5,000 people, uh, he, sets, he sends his disciples into a boat, tells them to head to another town. But what's Jesus doing? He's going to the top of a mountain to pray by himself with his father because he had these needs. Like you were said, he was pouring out so often and he was drained and he needed to be filled up in and through prayer was one way he did this. Well, can we go a little deeper with that? Prayer is conversation with God. He misses his father. He wants to be with his father. There's, there's a longing there for connection. Exactly no one right. else could understand him. Exactly right. Uh, last way he did this, uh, he asked for and met his relational needs. You know, think about this. Right before Jesus is arrested, uh, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's stressed. He's anxious. He's fearful. He knows what's coming. The cross is looming. And in that very moment, in that fear, what did he do? He asked his disciples to stay with him. You know, Matthew 26, verse 38 says, my soul is very sorrowful. We might say extremely sad, grieved, all that, even to death, remain here and watch with me. So he wanted his disciples. He wanted relationships, accompaniment, companionship. I really like it that we're talking about this because it brings out the humanness of Jesus. Yeah. And that is often missed. He's mm -hmm. over-spiritualized. Yeah. All right, let me bring up a possible objection that I thought of. Love to hear your response. What would you say to the person who says, yeah, Jesus was perfect. Um, that's Jesus. He had everything together. We're not. We're sinners. So tell me, Austin, what basis do you have to assume that Jesus, because he has needs, had needs, that he wants us to recognize our own needs? How do you make that connection? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I'd say, I'd say this, yes, Jesus was perfect, 
but he also explicitly commanded us to follow his example. And this is found in the greatest commandment. John, you know what the greatest commandment is? Off the top of your head, a wise Bible scholar? Oh, behave. <laughs> nope, failed. Uh, not Austin Powers. We're talking the Bible. So, so let me read it. Matthew, um, greatest commandments found in Matthew 22, verse 37. Um, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that last line is key. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, Jesus is saying to treat your neighbor the way you would want to be treated. And so implicit in this last verse is, is in a, a, a healthy love of self. Yeah, and I really don't think we understand what that means. Highly misunderstood. So let me nuance this. Shame has the throne in our culture. The notion that I'm not enough, I'm defective, something wrong with me. And we try to compensate for that or cover it. And it's always gonna go in one of two directions, okay? One, I'm gonna make myself really big. I'm going to mask my inferiority and make everything about me overpower everyone and kind of have this, you know, in charge self that's my manager that yeah. i put out there so you're gonna go big mm -hmm. i'm gonna go big i'm the big man on campus right mm -hmm. look at me adam and eve they took their own covering took control we saw it right at the beginning of the bible and we still do it or i'm gonna make myself really tiny i just want to be invisible so i'm not seen i will avoid i will withdraw and both of these are ways really of avoiding the core feeling we all have of being exposed as a fraud or not enough. Inside, I'm unlovable. If somebody really saw me for who I am, they wouldn't want to hang out with me. Yeah, so you're saying that shame that just is prevalent in our culture, it really prevents us and keeps us from believing that we're lovable and therefore loving ourselves. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so essentially, we're filled with self-condemnation, inferiority, and I'm going to compensate for that or get away from it by either making myself huge and in control or really tiny and I go away. But both of these ways are avoiding what's inside. And both of these ways are really ultimately violating that command, love your neighbors as yourselves. Mm. One takes over and consumes everyone around them, the other one goes away. And one of the ways they go away is they kind of shame and belittle, kind of like social media. And those are really ways that shame prevents us from loving. Learning to love ourselves is opening your heart to places where the love of God for you, we call it the gospel, opening your heart to places where you need to be loved, healed, and grow real core places, places where you feel unlovable. Because when you get loved at that level and you're comfortable in your own skin and you're anchored in God's acceptance of you, flaws and all, then you have a freedom to love your neighbor in ways that bring life to them instead of dominating, overpowering, or avoiding them. It seems like if we don't love ourselves and we don't have a category for this healthy, godly self-love, it's like 
a water pitcher with no bottom in it. We can just pour as much water as we want in that, but it's not going to hold it. And it's just going to continue to leak and not have a capacity to hold that. And what you're saying is if we can begin to realize that we are lovable and wantable, then that pitcher can be filled up so that then we can do the first half or the second half of that commandment, which is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, and, you know, patching those leaks and getting, let's use psych language that is often made fun of. The way you get your love tank filled Mm -hmm. is not by going out, getting a bunch of people to like you and say, oh, you're great, man. It's knowing you can bring that broken, leaky heart to God and know that he says, come closer, let Mm -hmm. me hold it. I love you anyway. And John, to add on to this, you were talking about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. There's the, Jesus isn't just doing this as a robot. He doesn't say, love your neighbor as yourself. Like, okay, let me move on. He, he really does this because he wants a relationship with his followers. Can you say more on that? Yeah. Years ago, I heard a sermon by a real creative thinker. And I'm going to take this quote right from him. And it's about this passage. And I, I just have fallen in love with this angle on it. When Jesus commands us to love God with all of our hearts, it's not because God is an arrogant, egocentric narcissist. It is a command that is deeply humble on God's part and vulnerable. It's Jesus revealing his heart for what he wants for us. Because here's what he's saying in this command. All of my life, I've been loving God and he's been loving me. And it is my deepest joy and pleasure And I want you to have that too. So it's very relational, very vulnerable and invitational. Yeah. And it's almost, as I hear that, and you mentioned it earlier, I'll speak for myself. It's really easy to read these scriptures off a page, devoid of feeling, devoid of emotion. Mm -hmm. But a, a scripture or a quote like that just reminds me anyway, that Jesus had feelings and tones of voice and facial expressions as he's seeing these things. And so maybe it's helpful, and I'm just coming up with this right now, to read these things not as like a robot or Chad GPT, whatever, but as a relational person who really loves and cares and wants that for us. And I'll speak for me, maybe for you listeners too. I don't quite have those experiential categories. They're not very natural. But when we can begin to realize this, uh, we can start to have a healthier self-love, a healthier self-concept so that we can begin to love and serve others. Well, literally what happens, and I don't know how it happens, I just know God designed it to work this way. When we receive love in the way that God is describing love, his image in us gets fed nutrients and it gets restored and there's an empowerment and there's a confidence and there's a life that comes from that. I find it fascinating sometimes in working with clients. I'll have a client where I don't open scripture and read scripture, but I do the connection piece and the acceptance piece. And they'll come in and say, you know what? I just, I really want to do something for God. I just, I really love him more. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just amazes me because he's designed us for getting these things. And when we get them, we grow. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a thank you for the softball to our next point, because we've talked about, okay, that's the scriptural basis for why it's not selfish, but godly to meet those needs, desires, and longings. First and foremost, Jesus did it for himself. But now the next point 
is what's the deeper purpose for meeting those needs, desires, longings. And what I'm saying is we don't just meet them for its own sake, but we meet them so that we're able and equipped to love and to serve others. Well, let's take a break and then let's dig into that. We'll be right back in a jiffy, but we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at with you in the weeds. Okay, you were saying there's a deeper purpose and I want you to elaborate on yeah, that. Yeah, so let's go back to the, the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we love self and we love our neighbor. Those two are welded together. And, you know, let's go back to the airplane mask illustration that we talked about in the previous episode. The airlines tell you, put your airplane mask on first, oxygen mask on first. Why? So that you can help others. It's assumed that once you have oxygen, you're going to look around and have you help somebody else. You don't just sit there and hope for the best as much as, you know, you might like to. Uh, or how about this one? And maybe I'm just thinking about this because I've been watching a lot of NBA lately. At this point, it's, you know, the playoffs are on. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, we already know who won. Anyway, in basketball every now and then, right, the starting players, LeBron, Steph Curry, they get pulled from the game to get some rest. Why? Well, because they've been working really hard. They need to get a break so that they will be refreshed for the rest of the game. Is it selfish for LeBron or for Steph to take a timeout? No, nobody would say that. Nobody would say that. They do that so that they can have more energy and passion for the game to come. Yeah, it's just pretty logical, yeah, right? Right. Years ago, there was a movie with Robert De Niro, and he was an old cop, crusty guy, mm. training a young buck cop. And he went away on vacation. And the young cop said, well, how can you go away for like that length of time? And he just looked at him like De Niro can and it's like, you know, you got to go away to come back. Got to go away to come back. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And in fact, you know, this flow of getting time to get refreshed in order to go back and serve it, it's again, it's rooted in the scriptures. Okay, John, Bible pop quiz. You ready? Do you know what the fourth commandment is? Uh, oh, behave. <laughs> Is it right? No, Austin. I don't Austin know why. Powers. No. I don't know why Austin Powers uh, is a theme today. I don't either. No, no you, the, the the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Okay, I do know what that is. That was a setup. I just don't want people to think I'm an ignoramus and don't know what the fourth commandment is. I'll let the people decide. There's my shame. <laughs> okay, there's my shame. Right, as a theologian, pastor guy, he ought to know. So I have to make that clear. It came out. No, but but the, the fourth commandment's this. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That's in Exodus chapter 20. In other words, God told his people, the Israelites, to work a six days of the week, work really hard, but then take the day off to rest. Why? Well, verse 11 of Exodus 20, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. And just pause for a second. God, who created all things, didn't need a thing. He chose to rest. He took a time out, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And he commanded his people to do the same thing. So was it selfish for God's people to rest? And as like we've been saying, to meet their needs, desires, and longings? No, because God himself did it. 
Okay, let me just share a couple things of what we're not saying. What we're not saying here is that you don't get to go out and totally meet your needs, desires, and longings at the expense of others. You know, if, if you've got a pulse right now, you know that we're in a cultural moment that celebrates, prescribes, and even demands that we meet our own needs, desires, and longings. You know, this is blaring in Alexa volume 10 from secular culture from outside the church. Now, here's what I would say. I would say the heart of this movement on focus on self is good, like we've been saying, but it's snowballed out of control and it's like we've got an avalanche on our hands. And I say it's an avalanche for one simple reason. It says that we need to meet these needs, desires, and longings with no one else in mind. To say it in a different way, we need to stop wondering how we can meet those needs of others and only focus on ourselves. Well, and not not God in mind either. The needs, desires, and longings have become God's. Like if I get enough of them, yeah. I will be self-sufficient. That's right. Only the horizontal plane. There's no vertical plane. Right. That's a great point. You know, uh, the culture would tell us that serving others, it's, it's like a prison sentence and it, it comes at the expense of us. And so what's the solution? Well, let's blow the doors off that prison and get our own needs, desires, and longings met no matter the cost. So, so let me give an example. And this example is about marriage and divorce. And, and if you've been divorced, I'm sure there's probably good, legitimate reasons for that. So don't get in the weeds with me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But here's an example of where this has played out and where I've seen it with clients a lot as well. Let's say your spouse is not meeting your needs. Or if those feelings of love towards your spouse are gone. Or if you've got feelings of love toward another person, like a coworker, let's say, the message will be, guess what? Might be time to get divorced. Your needs are not getting met in your current relationship, your current marriage. So let's go somewhere else. Doesn't matter the impact it's going to have on the spouse or on the kids. You've got another person that gets you and knows you and you deserve to have a relationship like that. You've been in prison too long. It's time to break out and focus on you because you deserve it. This is my life. It's my life. It's, it, it's, it's all over the place. And it's so small and it's so subtle. So again, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's times to get a divorce, especially if somebody is in an abusive relationship. It's right and faithful to get out. We've done some episodes on that. Go back to our managing relationship series. Yeah. But what I am saying is that the heart of this issue and what culture is telling us loud and clear is that we need to get our needs, desires, and longings met for our own sake with no one else in mind. And that is not what we're saying. And that is not what Jesus has in mind. Yeah. We're saying it's not a self-absorption without any regard for God or other people. That's one extreme. The other extreme, and it's more religious, is a form that we see in the church. And that is basically the needs take a backseat. They're subservient to serving other people mm -hmm. because I need to serve, I need to do. And that can quickly take on a modicum of task, performance, the more I do, the godlier I am. It's like the Rex Quando of Christian performance. You want to take a roundhouse with these bad boys after I've had my quiet time? Come on, forget about it. <laughs> Who's Rex Quando? Where's that from? Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, gosh, it's been so long since I've seen that movie. Got it, got it. Anyway, yeah. keep going. I'm sorry. You know, I'm in the octagon. I'm having my quiet time. I'm praying. I'm serving. I'm doing. I'm the Rex Quando. <laughs> right. I mean, the tough guy, yep. right, who just gets it done, 
<laughs> gets it done. And really, honestly, it hurts people because they, they buy into this notion that the more I do, the more I serve, the more I'm going to be loved by God and the better my life's going to be. Um, that's one of the reasons you mentioned the Sabbath. I think that's one of the reasons God throws the Sabbath in there. Like, hey, you need to be reminded mm. that it's grace and I'm going to give to you when you do nothing. So there is a place for meeting our needs just to meet our needs because it's, because it's godly and it's right in and of itself. Because you're nurturing God's image for its own sake. You know, Paul has a place where he says, pray for your leaders that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life. There's something really godly about that. You don't have to be a superstar Christian performing all the time and serving and sacrificing your own needs. So when we talk about doing, when we talk about serving, I think it's helpful to take it up into a bigger category of nurturing the gifts God has given you, being open to his call upon your life to use them, to create beauty, to create order, to create goodness. An example, I have, I have a friend, very godly friend who loves to paint. Mm. And one time she asked me, she goes, I, this is something that refreshes me. I, I really like this. Is this an idolatry? Is it sinful? Is it selfish? And I, no, it's not because there's beauty being created there. It's a gift that God has given her and God himself is a painter. Why do you think she asked that question? I really, I honestly, I think that there's a subtle message in the church that if you're not being externally productive and you're doing something that you enjoy or that you mm. like, it must be wrong. Mm. So, so then what you're saying is, and what you told this friend, look, painting is not selfish because it's worthy of a pursuit for its own sake for the simple reason that it brings life and joy and refreshment to you. So painting for, for this friend had no external function value, let's say, like you just said. Exactly. But it was worthy because it was something that she delighted in and she was refreshed by. Does that sound right? Absolutely. Yep. Remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Long time ago, yeah. When he ran the 100-yard dash, one of the things he said is, when I run, I feel the pleasure of my father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be still. Know that I am God. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a being stillness and a pleasure from the Father that someone can experience being an image bearer using a gift that God has given. Yep. And in and of itself, that's good. And that's meeting a desire, a longing, a need. Yeah. Um, even, even as you say that, I I'm, I'm just can feel like kind of the weight that comes off of being able to do something that you really enjoy for its own sake with no, you know, no reason why I have to do it other than I just like doing it. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine who is a theologian and a prolific author who is pretty famous, loves gardening. What is that producing? Enjoyment for him. And that is a good godly thing to do. God is a painter. God is a gardener. So just meeting your needs, desires, and longings to nurture the image of God in you and to reflect his character because he loves beauty, he loves creation, he loves bringing life, he loves bringing order out of chaos. And if that brings refreshment to your soul, then you're going to have more to give when the time comes that somebody's talking to you and in need and you have a strength of 
how good God is because of how you experience him. That's a rush to be able to yeah. tell somebody that. And you know what's true of my experience and my guess is some of our listeners too. Once I get that refreshment, I actually want to give and I want to serve. It's not this, oh crap, here we got to go. I got to go serve. No, it's just been this kind of natural overflow. And my guess is, my hunch is that's the way that it was meant to be. When we get filled up, we naturally long to want to give and to serve others because that's what Jesus does and is doing and will always do. Well, there's lots of research on the dopamine rush that comes to the brain when you do something good for somebody else. Right. And so there's an enjoyment in that. Right. But if you are absolutely drained and exhausted and have nothing to give, and the following of God is a burden instead of a blessing, then what are you communicating to people? Hey, come be a Christian and be miserable like me. I just do stuff all the time and I'm exhausted and I don't like people. Yeah, right, right. No, nobody wants to follow that version <laughs> of Christianity. But what we are saying is when we naturally want to overflow and give and love, then that's, that's attractive to people and has a missional piece. Yeah. Okay, so we've seen the reasons why it's godly to meet our own needs, desires, and longings. Jesus did it. And we've seen the deeper reason why we should meet those needs, desires, and longings, not for its own sake, but to pour out, to give, to love, to serve others. Now, let's, let's end our time just leaving you with three specific and practical takeaways. Here's one, pretty simple. Take time to identify what your needs, desires, and longings might be. What do you need and, and what do you want? You know, for me, I, I love food and I love friends. You know, on my day off, I try to schedule lunch with a buddy or two at a, one of our favorite restaurants just to catch up, maybe enjoy a good beer and some good food together and just hang out. For me, that is so refreshing and life-giving. Now, what, what's that for you, John? What do you love doing on your days off? Uh, I garden, actually. I do landscaping. That theologian and prolific author, was that you? No. Were you talking about yourself? No, sir. Oh, okay. Are you kidding me? <laughs> but you love to garden. What I do. do. Love, what do you I... love to plant? What are you planting right now? I just planted uh, three aspen trees, mm. and I really, really, really am kind of in love with them. <laughs> um, yeah. And one of the cool things about them, they're called quaking aspen, mm. and legend has it that Christians long ago gave them the name quaking aspen because their leaves flutter in the wind, and it was said that the leaves are trembling in shame because the tree knows that its wood was used for the cross. Oh, there you go. Now, not every plant that I plant, right, has such a deep spiritual connotation. Right. But yeah, right now I'm doing trees. Yeah, that's great. So whatever it is for you, maybe it's food, maybe it's friends, maybe it's trees, gardening, but but figure out what is it that you actually like and what is it that you that you that you love. John, what's the second one? Second takeaway. Okay, real quick, I would just say, look, we all are imperfect people. And at times we're going to have needs, desires, longings that go in unhealthy directions. If you have a question or concern, be open to the Holy Spirit leading you into analyzing it and thinking about it. Don't rule it in automatically. Don't rule it out. And this is where God has given us a second family in the body of Christ. Find some trusted friends, a trusted pastor, a trusted counselor, and just think it through. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really wise and good. Um, last time, and it maybe seems so simple, but actually find a time to carve out to start practicing and pursuing these things. You know, maybe start small and see what happens. If you love nature or going on a trail, especially this time of the year, 
figure out during your week when you can take a walk. Maybe it's just 10 minutes. Maybe it's 20 minutes, whatever. But just start doing that. And slowly but surely, uh, my guess is, my bet is that you're going to start feeling refreshed and having a little bit more life than you did before. Yeah, God is not going to call you as an image bearer to do things that you don't like and using that as a litmus test for whether or not it's good. There is kind of a subterranean flow in the Christian community that, well, if I like it and if I really want it and if I really need it, it's got to be bad. No, we're giving you some freedom here, okay? So this has been a great episode, Austin. I hope it sets some people free and that if you're listening, you find some relief. It gives you a different way of thinking maybe and that you get a little unstuck by believing that it is godly to get your needs met. And hope you'll join us next time as we launch another episode of With You in the Weeds. Yeah, John, it's been uh, fun to be here with you and look forward to seeing you in future episodes. Yep. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.